0: Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, featuring the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's word with you today. Next Wednesday... Uh, Lord willing, we'll be studying the character of Daniel. So some of you always ask me who's next week. So just so you know, Daniel will be next week. Today though, we are going to be looking at the character of Jonah. So if you want to go in your Old Testament, um, to one of the minor prophets, I think he's the fifth minor prophet. If you go down through there, you can use the table of contents if you want. If you kind of know where Jonah is at, feel free to make your way to Jonah. So you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, so somewhere in there, Um, you're going to come across the book of Jonah, four chapters, so if uh, if your Bible is like mine, it is just um, these two pages, that's it, so it might be something, if you're uh, thumbing through it, you might move through it rather quickly, so we're going to be looking at the character of Jonah, that's what we've been doing on Wednesday nights, is looking at different characters, biblical characters, we're not going to touch on every single person that's mentioned in Scripture, but we are going to look at the main ones and the big ones, and so looking at both men and women, but uh, looking at different characters, and every single time we're asking three questions when we look at these characters. It's kind of a way of examining them. Um, Scripture not only gives us precepts and principles in the Bible, but also we have models, and we have examples, both positive and negative, from people on how they lived and how God um, responded to them, how they responded to God and there's things we can learn um, in looking at the people that have come before us. So, Jonah is who we're with tonight. Three questions that we've been asking with every single one of these characters we've been asking who were they and this is biographical information mother, father, son, brother, uh, married wife, spouse, father-in-law whoever, kind of looking at the biographical information and then we ask the second question about why do we know that person? Why is that person significant? Why should we know about them um, from somebody that lived thousands of years ago? And the last question we get to is what lessons do they teach us? So those are the three questions we go to. So, starting off in the first question, asking who were they, or who was he talking about Jonah? Remember, we're asking biographical information. So maybe a daddy's name, mother and mother's name, maybe a wife's name, maybe a, a child's name. Uh, what what do we know about Jonah as far as who was Jonah? The son of Midi. Son of Mattai. alright? Do we know anything else? Indigestion. He was what? He gave the will indigestion. He gave the will indigestion. That's more anecdotal, not biographical, but you're you're in the same ballpark. Okay? Anything else we know biographical? Mama's name, a wife's name, a kid's name, brother's name, cousin's name? No. No? No, no. Okay, so... That's, that's good, that's good. I'm glad you didn't find something that I, I couldn't find. Alright, so the only thing that I was able to find biographically is that he is the son of Amate, or amate or whoever you want to pronounce it. And you see this in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Ametal. Um You can pronounce it how you want. Mr. A, alright? So when it comes to um, Mr. A, we can't just leave and just go on to the next question when we talk about the biographical stuff. So, what do we know about Mr. A? Anybody have any idea of what we may know more about Jonah just by knowing who his father was? was In the Hebrew Bible, he was a prophet. Okay. Alright. So, in the Hebrew Bible, Jonah and the father, all both were considered to be prophets. Alright. What else do we know about him? Do we know where maybe Jonah grew up at? Okay, so, so what you can do is if you have a Bible with a concordance or if you have something that has cross-references, sometimes what you can do is you can look up that name Amite, all right, Mr. A that you get out of Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1 and you can look for other places where you find that same name Amate. Only one other place that you're going to find as far as in an English Bible where you're going to find that name listed and that takes you back to 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25. And in 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25 you have a king at that time by the name of, I think it's Jeroboam let me look, yeah Jeroboam the second, he is reigning there in Israel which is the ten northern tribes if you remember geographically speaking and as he is there and he's restoring some lands it says in 2 Kings chapter 14 and in verse 25 it says he restored the border of Israel from Laboth Hamath as far as the sea of Erebah according to the word of the Lord of God of Israel which he spoke by his servant Jonah the son of Amittah the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. so you get an idea, That doesn't tell us exactly that's where Jonah grew up at, it doesn't tell us that's his address, but it tells us that is where his family came from, was the uh, town that's listed there at the end of verse 25, Gath Hefer. so that may send you off off on another question. Well, where is the town of Gath-Hefer? Anybody have an idea where that town might be at? West of Lourdes? <laughs> that's that's a good start. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. All right. So again, if you have one of those Bibles that has cross references, you can look up that town Gath Hefer and see where else do we find it listed in Scripture. Well, you will find it only listed one other place in Scripture, and that is in Joshua chapter nineteen. So in Joshua chapter nineteen, as the uh, people of Israel or the Hebrew people, as they have come in and that they have conquered the promised land if you will and they start to divide it out and they start to allot it out by the tribes when you get there to the book of Joshua especially in Joshua 18, 19 and 20 they start explaining that this tribe got this much land and the way they're describing the boundaries is they start giving all of these towns and so they would say okay so let's say for instance Lincoln County well if you start in Lincoln County you're going to start halfway between Luther and Wellston it's going to go up all the way past Phallus up to Trine and then going to go across, it's going to hit this town, it's going to come down, and that was the way they identified it geographically. So in Joshua chapter 19, and you can look in verse 13, it gives us this idea, you have Gath Hefer, and if you look at the greater context, it's in relation to the tribe of Zebulun. This then takes you possibly to the back of your Bible. And at the back of your Bible, some of you may have a map. And the map might be called the 12 tribes of Israel. And on your map, if you have one of these, um, I was wish Ron was here, I'd ask him if it's original... The correct Bible had one. But anyways, uh, sometimes you may have a map and it will show you the different tribes and where they were allotted at in their territory. So it gives you an idea that when you think about the tribe of Zebulun, it is going to be the west of the Sea of Galilee, a little bit to the south in between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. You may say, well, Spence, why in the world does any of that matter? Well, it's just information. You might find yourself in a fierce, trivial pursuit one night, and you might find yourself sitting there, and the last piece of your pie that you have to complete to win the game for your team is going to have a question about Jonah and where he grew up, and maybe this night will be a night that you'll be able to go back to, and you get that orange I don't know if it's the orange piece or the purple piece, but you'll get that piece in the Trivial Pursuit game, and you will win, and you'll be the hero. Hero, not hero, hero. So, you think about so Jonah, we know who his dad was, Amate. We also kind of know maybe a background where he came from, Geth um Gath-Hephur. There we get that in 2 Kings 14. You say, well, where is that? I, don't, I couldn't find a map that had that town. It's an ancient town even today. Archaeologists think that it's somewhere west of what is modern day Nazareth, but they're not really sure because that's a Old Testament town that had since gone away and they don't have the ruins there, haven't found the ruins. So you think about, well, where is that at? You go back to Joshua 19. That gives you the idea that it's in the area that was allotted to Zebulun. We know that because we can go back to the book of Joshua and map that out geographically so we know that it's west of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, we know that it's close to Nazareth. And that just kind of gives you a little bit of flavor to who Jonah is. Maybe more than what you're looking for, but when we think about biographical, there's always things that if you're willing to do a little digging that you can find things in Scripture that maybe me just little nuggets of information you can just store away. Any other biographical information, man, disloyal? Not a lot there. Not, not a lot there at all. So then let's go to the second question. Why do we know him? Why do we know the name of Jonah? Ran from, fire. ran from God, swallowed by a big fish, prophet. prophet. Okay? He was a powder. What? He was a powder. A powder. Okay, he had a little teenager in him. That's right. What right? How old was he? Well, it doesn't tell us how old he was. So all it does is when it starts there in Jonah chapter 1, which by the way, we don't even know exactly who wrote the book. Jonah. It is assumed by the majority of biblical scholars it is assumed that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah, but we don't know exactly. We looked at this, when we went through the book of Jonah, and we were looking at the different survey of the books. We don't know exactly who wrote it. We don't know exactly when it was written. We kind of have an idea of a range of dates of when it was written, um, but we assume that it was more of kind of a not, I guess autobiographical that Jonah wrote it about himself. So we don't know a name. We don't know an age of Jonah. All we know is in Jonah chapter one, in verse one, it starts starts off by saying, God came um, to Jonah and said, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So the very beginning of the book, we don't have really any background about his trade, what he was doing, where he was at. What he had going on on his calendar, his life, anything—it just opens up, and God comes to Jonah and says, "I want you to get up, and I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell the city of Nineveh they better repent because the judgment of God is coming." Why is that significant? Let me ask it a different way: Was Nineveh an ally or an enemy of the Hebrew people? They were what? Assyrians. They were Assyrians. So Nineveh was there in modern in that time in the Assyrians, yes. were they allies or were they enemies? They were fierce enemies very fierce enemies. So it is almost like the fiercest rival you can imagine. The Assyrians were very well known during that time when they would come in and they would either bring um, battle, they would bring trying to conquer the lands, and they would come in and they were notorious and they were very famous for the brutality of how they would treat their enemies and how especially they would treat the women and the children of their enemies. And so when you open up here in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1 and you read that in verse 1 and verse 2 for you or me, it just kind of says, okay, so God says, get up here and go to Nineveh. And we just like, okay, what's the big deal? Well, number one, Nineveh, if Jonah is around that area west of the Sea of Galilee, okay, where we kind of maybe think he was hanging out at, it's 500 miles from where he's at to Nineveh. Well, 500 miles, even by vehicle, is a trip, okay? is a good long run. Imagine doing it on foot through unimproved, unimproved roads and getting up there on foot. That is a commitment. That is a dedication. I mean, you can just imagine and saying, hey, I want you to leave here today and you're not going to travel by road. You're just going to take off and you are, headed, you are headed to Bartlesville. And you're going to walk out that door and I say, you're going to take off on foot going as the crow flies across country and you're headed to Bartlesville. How many of us are going to be a walk out here here, and within a matter of two or three days find ourselves in Bartlesville. Some of us, some of us, and I'm not trying to point anybody out by name, but some of us can't even get there by vehicle. <laughs> by going through the roadways because we have no idea where even Bartlesville's at. I'm saying Bartlesville and you're like, I don't even know. I don't even know if that's north, south, east, and west. I don't even know if that's a town. Some of you are just completely lost and even the idea of Bartlesville. So you can imagine God coming to Jonah and saying, alright Jonah, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Nineveh. Not only does Jonah know these are fierce enemies of the Hebrew people, why would I go to my enemy? Why would I go there where they may they mistreat me, they may kill me, they may beat me up? They may torture me. They do all these bad things to me. Why would I go there? Why would I go 500 miles to tell somebody about God's judgment? Because they're not going to like that. They're not going to be appreciative about that. Why would I want to do that? Why would I? All these questions, if you're a Hebrew, come into your mind that in our Western culture, we just fly right past. We, We just skip right past it. So when you think about, what do we know about Jonah? Well, part of it is, is God coming to Jonah and saying, hey, Jonah. I want you to do something that in our minds, and even maybe in Jonah's minds, is like, that's crazy, that's unheard of, that is radical, and you can imagine Jonah might be sitting here going, I misheard God, I misunderstood God, there is no way that God would call me to do that, so... Why I think that matters is because when you get to verse 3 it is often that you and I will pick up stones to throw at Jonah in the way of criticism for his response or his action and sometimes that is more motivated by our ignorance of what God asked Jonah to do than understanding of what Jonah was facing Now I' I'm not, I'm not I'm not supporting what Jonah then how he responds and I'm not saying that that was the correct response I'm just saying that there's a lot more to the story than sometimes we give him credit for so God called Jonah we see that in verse 1 and verse 2 right so then what does Jonah do verse 3 what does he do he runs. He runs. So instead of going, and if you think about on your map, okay, Now I'm going to try to do this where it makes sense on your side. So let's say you've got uh, the Sea of Galilee. you got where Jonah is hanging out. Over here you got the Mediterranean Sea. Nineveh is way over here. So when God comes and he calls Jonah, instead of Jonah then going northeast to Nineveh, he actually goes southwest down to what town? Joppa. Joppa. So he goes to Joppa first, right? So it says that he went down to Joppa, and that is where or he rose to flee to Tarshish, but he gets to Joppa. Joppa is considered to be a port city. Um, It is there. You can find a lot of times it's still on your maps that you'll see in the back of your Bible. You will see where Joppa was a port city, uh, a place where shipping was in and out of. So he says, I'm going to go to Tarshish, but in order to get to Tarshish, I got to go to Joppa, and I got to get on a boat, and then head to Tarshish, Right? Alright, so he decides to run. So instead of going northeast in Nineveh, like God said to do, he decided to go southwest, get on a boat of Joppa, and then head to Tarsus. Does anybody know where Tarshish is at? Straits of Gibraltar. What? Straits of Gibraltar. Okay, that's a possibility. Kind of a trick question because we don't exactly know. Some people what? I'm to find a new map well good good because I hope maybe you can find it I would like to know because yeah so some people think straight to Gibraltar some people some people think maybe it's down there around Cyprus some people think it's down there southern part of Rome um, they would the, the, the main consensus is if you look at a map and you got the far eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea they will just draw an arrow to the west and say Tarsus was that way okay they don't know exactly where the town of Tarsus. was was. Obviously it was a prominent enough town that Jonah's like, hey, I'm going there. So it must have been prominent during his time. It must have been a well-known town during that time. But we don't know exactly. According to this map, it's been very far away from where he was. As far away. So some Bible scholars have thought written down that he was trying to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. So he was going to go to the far side of their known map. He was going to get as far away from Nineveh as possible and he was going to get as far away from God as possible. So if God comes to him down there in Beth-Hephor or bath to call him then they think he went to see how far away he could get from the call of God, from the voice of God and from anything that remind him of God. So he runs, right? So God calls him, that's verse 1 and verse 2. He runs, that's verse 3. Then what does God do? Storm, okay. So God pursues him, right? So you get to verse 4 and it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. So at this point, Jonah's down in the bottom of the boat He's asleep on a pillow, alright, he's down there, he's paid his his fare to get a boat ride, and uh, he's down there in the bottom, and God pursues him, right, so God hurls the great, he puts a great wind upon the sea, and all of a sudden all these waves were crashing around to the point that these seasoned professional sailors got scared, maybe wet themselves a little bit, and said we got to do something different, okay, so they are upset, You know, and for the sake of time, you know how the story... You can go back and you read the story about how they determined that it was Jonah and that it was Jonah's fault and that Jonah was to blame for everything. You can go back and read that, verse 4, all the way down through verse 16. But as you get to it, they come to find out that they come to believe that Jonah is the reason for the storm. Jonah says, if you want to save your life, throw me overboard. And they're like... Can't do that because then we would be guilty of murder because the storm, you can't survive the storm. And he's like, no, the only way you're going to survive is to throw me over. They tried, they tried, they tried. Finally, they're like, we ain't got nothing else to try. So they decided to throw him overboard. So that's what happened. Verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows after verse 15 where they picked up Jonah, hurled him in the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. I would so love to have seen this taking place to see this action Now, I have nothing to compare it to I've been on the ocean Pacific Ocean in a cruise boat once I don't think that counts as really having that much experience I have been on Lake Texoma in a fishing boat when the wind got up and it was white cap and we had some four foot swells and I thought we were going to die on Lake Texoma and they're looking at me like you're being a sissy and I'm like no, you don't understand and then I watch like these videos of these, these guys being offshore in the oil field and these big 20 foot swells and I'm like mm, no thank you and then I see ships and them big old super tankers and they're going through them. no, no, no I'm a land creature I'm staying my carcass on the dirt I, I know where I belong and so I stay there but I just I would love to have seen the raging, the raging storm being so great, and then them throw him overboard, and you see Jonah blur, 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 goes down the water, and everything gets still. I just think that'd be fascinating, <laughs> and that's what the Bible says. So sometimes you hear people are like, "Oh, the Bible's boring," and the Bible, there's nothing in there. And then you get there, and you're like, "There's some really imaginative stuff that is there." All right, so. Verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1, God had pursued after Jonah, caused the great storm, alright? Then you see that whole dialogue takes place between Jonah and the professional sailors and the boat crew and all those, and then you get down to verse 17, and God is still pursuing after Jonah. It says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, doesn't say a whale, so sometimes you'll hear people that say Jonah and the whale. That's uh, sometimes just something that rolls off the tongue because you think of a bigger fish than a a, a whale. You really don't have a concept for a bigger fish. So we just assume it was some type of whale. I think back to the the cartoon Pinocchio, where you have uh, Pinocchio with Giuseppe, Giopetti, Giuseppe, whatever his name is, and they're on the fishing boat and they're in the belly of the whale and they start to fire, you know, and the whale starts to get huff and puff and blows him out. Y'all y'all need to watch TV more often. Get rid of that silly stuff you're watching. Go back to some classic Pinocchio stuff. Okay? You no, this was, this was before they went uh, weird. Weird. Pre-weird days, okay? See, y'all are trying this with the, trying to trip me up. The landmines just the one out in front of me. Okay. So so this is you know, so this is the great fish that he had caused him. Got swallowed up, and he's in the belly of the fish. Now there have been a lot of ink spilled on paper trying to figure out what exactly happened. Was he in a state of comatose? I mean, because you think about in the will's belly, there's not gonna be a lot of oxygen, there's gonna be the stomach acid, there's gonna be all of this stuff that's going on in its like what does that look like i don't know so, But I do believe that if God supernaturally has the power to create a giant storm on a body of water, then He can create a fish big enough to swallow a man and create the circumstances where that man can stay alive in that belly of that fish. Alright? So if God can create the water, He can create the boat, and He can have all of that power, why do we think it's so far-fetched that He could have a fish that swallows a man and the man surviving the fish? verse 17, now the Lord has prepared three fish to swallow ground. That's right. Sometimes we start to think, well, that's not possible. We accept everything else, but we won't accept that. I think I was like 12 or 13 and my parents went to a very traditional Baptist church. I mean, the first, second, the fourth stanza of the hymns, right? Okay, you never sang the third. If you sang the third, something was going on, revival or something was happening, okay? So it was always the first, second, and the fourth stanza of the hymn. That was standard. You had your first one, you shook your hand. second one, third one, everybody stood on the fourth stanza and that's when they collected up, that's when the offertory came up, right? That's when the people came up to collect the offering. Um, 99% of the time you had a special music during the offertory, alright? See, some of y'all just didn't grow up didn't grow up traditional enough. Alright. So all of this was going on. And there was a church started called Church of the Harvest. And they're down there around the intersection of I-35 and, I-2 and I-44. and I Comes in down there. Bound by Remington Park in that area. And there was a church. And they were... We call them way contemporary today. I mean, but they had the music and they did the jumping around and they wore jeans to church. I mean, untucked shirts to church. I mean, it was way, way, way different than what I was used to. And they had a concert there one night and this guy gets there and his song, his big song that he sang was three days old fish breath three days old, and he was talking about can you imagine when the the fish spit up Jonah on dry land, when Jonah gets up, he's been in the belly of the fish, so he smells like fish, he looks like fish and he has fish breath that's three days old, and that was the whole thing of the song, but I just found myself mesmerized because it wasn't first, second, and fourth (laughs) stanza of the hymn now I've tried to go back and find that song and I can't, I haven't been able to find that song but I think that's a song that, you know that, I wonder if it's as contemporary as I thought it was back back in that day. So we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know exactly how it looked. We don't know exactly what took place. We just know that the great fish, verse 17 of Jonah chapter 1, the great fish came and it swallowed Jonah. And it says Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay? So God calls Jonah, Jonah runs, God pursues after Jonah. Then what happens in the story? Okay. Well, before the fish spits him up on land, what happens? Jonah repents, right? You know, sometimes our most sweet times of repentance is when we're in the most trouble. And we will lament and we will whine about getting in trouble. And we often neglect to understand that some of those times is God's greatest opportunity to speak to our hearts and for us to to return back to God. And sometimes that's what it takes to get you and I to get our minds right before God. So in the belly of the fish, this is chapter 2, in the belly of the fish, Jonah repents. And it gives us this whole Explanation of what Jonah, his prayer. This starts um, in verse 2 and goes all the way through verse 9. We see the prayer of Jonah. Jonah repents and says, in, 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 in kind of the spence paraphrase, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Help. <laughs> Help. I'm in a bad spot. <laughs> and he was he had no idea what was going to happen and he said help and you can imagine Jonah and I, and I thought this is where my mind starts to go crazy does Jonah realize he's in the belly of a fish I don't know does he realize what God's going to do I don't know does he realize what's going to happen next I don't know I, I don't know Is going through the mind of Jonah. We see that he prays there in chapter 2. Okay, so then what does God then do after Jonah repents? (coughs) Has the fish spit him out, right? So it has the fish then spit. um, This is verse 10 of chapter 2. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Sometimes that's the way God works. God says, Do this, and you and I are like, Uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, uh uh. And we go this way, we got to get beat up, then we say we're sorry, and then we come back, and God's like, This is still what I want you to do. And then sometimes, sometimes if you're like me, you didn't learn the lesson completely the first time because you're like, "Mm, uh," and you go this way, and then God beats you up again, brings you back. It's like, here you go. Uh, uh." I mean, and this is a cycle until you and I finally decide, uncle, we're going to submit. So that's what chapter three is. Chapter three, verse one, God calls back to Jonah and says, all right, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. What does Jonah do this time? He listens. That's right. He listens and he obeys. And you get down to verse 4... Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. So Jonah, we we fast forward in time. Now Jonah has left. Wherever he was spit out at, we don't know exactly where he landed ashore at. We assume it's on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. We don't know if it's Joppa. We don't know if it's a tire. We don't know exactly where it's at on what is modern day Israel. But somewhere there he got out, got his bearings about him, right? Realized which direction was up and which direction was down. Probably had a little seasickness here to get over, right? right? So he gets out and then he makes his Way we, we skip forward in time now, he's coming into Nineveh, obedient to the Lord. He comes into Nineveh. What does he do? Preach. Preaches, right? But what's his message? Like 40 days, 40 days. That's right, Miss Levita. So you go there, the chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 4. He called out, Jonah's calling out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. Now, might he have said more? Maybe. What does scripture record? Scripture records that he gave them an eight word sermon. (laughs) Now, here's the lesson. If the... That listen to me would respond after eight words the way that they respond to Jonah, then I would only have to say eight words as well. Okay? So so I have it, I have it out. Okay, so so they just eight words and boom, all of a sudden you see them, everybody gets cut to the heart, and everybody's like, Woe be to us, and the people respond, right? All of Nineveh responds. They repent. Even the leaders of Nineveh, they repented. They went, they fasted. They covered themselves with sackcloth. This is down in verse 9. They cried out to God. Verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and may turn from mysterious anger so that we may not perish. They, they, they said they were sorry. They relented. They turned back to God. They gave up their will. They gave up their way to God. And they said, here we are. We're repenting. They didn't know if God would relent or if the disaster would come upon them. They didn't know. They just said, we are going to repent and then let God do what God chooses to do. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them. And He did not do it. so, what does Jonah then do? Does Jonah get excited? Is Jonah like, yes, I'm the greatest evangelist. I'm going to take up an offering and I'm going to record how many people got saved and how many decisions and I'm going to be famous. I'm going to get my name. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to get a podcast. Did he do any of this? <laughs> he what? He, probably took a shower. he maybe took a shower, probably. What did he do? He got angry. He got angry. Why? He kicked out <laughs> so the he could He what? He kicked out so he could see him But why did he get mad? Because he thought he was better. Because God forgave all those people. Okay? Because he risked his life to preach to him and tell him what God told him to do, and then God hit him. Okay? He said to the God, said to him was not what I was saying in my own country? Yeah. Right? I didn't come all the way over here to say eight words. <laughs> Came all the way here to say words. I could just put them in an email. Right? Maybe a carrier pigeon in that time. So it's like we get the impression that Jonah went because he was going to be obedient to God. But Jonah didn't want to see those people be forgiven. He wanted to see God's judgment come down upon them. So when God's judgment didn't come down upon them, he's mad at God because he wanted them to get wrath and not to get mercy. Well, but he didn't get wrath. He got. He got mercy. Well, he got swallowed by the fish, but God had to get his attention. God had to get him a little time to sit and think about it. Get, put him in time out for a little while. Okay. So he's passed out with, with God? You don't think a little bit of there? Well, yeah, because he repented. Yeah, okay. He wasn't so bad at God. He didn't get mad at God and forgave him. Showed mercy I think there's something we need to ask ourselves from time to time. Do we want people to receive the mercy of God? And that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Because there's a lot of people in this world that you and I can get mad at because of the decisions they make, the choices they make, the things they do. And you and I can say, well, they deserve everything they get and they deserve the worst thing that God can do for them. And we can say things like there's a special place in hell reserved for them what we are doing is, is we are ignoring the fact that we according to Bible according to the Bible, were just as great of a sinner as anyone else and yet God has forgiven us Now, I'm not saying that we have to accommodate. I'm not saying that we have to endorse. I'm not saying that we have to marginalize or capitulate or we have to call their sin okay or we have to say, well, it's not that big of a deal. No, we can still call wrong, wrong, and we still call sin, sin. But at the the end of the day... We are grateful for mercy. So why would we feel like we are justified in saying someone else doesn't deserve mercy? Consequences? Sure. Things that come about as part of decisions and and things that people do? Absolutely have to guard ourselves because there are times that you and I will be tempted to have this attitude of ourselves that we deserve mercy, but they don't deserve mercy. And so when you get here in Jonah, and you get there especially in Jonah chapter 4, we are seeing a prime example. Jonah had received mercy from God, even though he had been disobedient, and even though he had run from God, and God sent the, the big fish, swallowed him up, gave him an opportunity to repent. He repented, spit him back out on the dry land, said, alright, go back and do what I want you to do. He goes in, Jonah sees God do a supernatural mighty work, and instead of Jonah saying, you know what, if I receive mercy, then what's wrong with them receiving mercy? Jonah gets mad. He gets mad because of how they responded, and then he gets mad at God because God didn't do what Jonah wanted him to do. We need to be careful about getting so fixated on our personal lives that we think that we have any type of authority or right to begin to tell God how God should respond to people around us. When I read that I had to forgive other people that have done wrong against me like Jesus convinced me, I was it's hard, it's hard. It, and I'm not. I'm not saying it's easy, and I realize there's people that you could say, "Well, yeah," but Spence, what about this person? What about these people? And what about this situation? And what about that circumstance? And I'm not saying that this is an easy concept. I'm saying that we have to constantly guard ourselves that we. are so easy to accept the grace and mercy from God over our sin and yet when it comes to someone else's sin it can be very easy for us to be cold hearted and indifferent and not just cold hearted and indifferent but then mad at God if God shows someone else grace and mercy and so that's what happens here in Jonah chapter 4 God relents shows mercy to the Ninevites that's where Jaylene said that then Jonah begins to pout. He goes out there, and he sets his booth up, he sets his tent up, he sets out there and he's like, I'm going to watch the fire, I'm going to watch the, everybody burn, I'm going to watch the show, God doesn't do it, Jonah gets mad. And he gets mad at God. He gets mad at God because he's like, why in the world did I come all the way over here, 500 miles after I crawled out of that belly of that fish? Why did I come all the way over here? And then I just knew you were going to do this. You could have just done this without me coming over here. And he has all this rant, all this pity party. And I'm sure you never find yourself in a pity party with God. But I'm going to tell you, I am a professional pity partier. All right? I know how to throw my own pity parties and feel sorry for myself. Look at everything I'm doing. And yet, man, the man, and man. And I got going, blah, to lose out there and I'm feeling sorry for myself and that's what Jonah's doing until God comes to Jonah. And what does God say to Jonah? Is it right to be angry? That's right. So that's chapter 4 in what, verse 9? So God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? And then it's like Jonah gets mad. I do have a right to be angry, blah, 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 blah. And then God comes back to Jonah there in verse 10 and says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, which in there are more than 120,000 persons, do not know the right hand from the left hand, and also much cattle. And then he just stops. And you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened to the rest of the story? This is all that God apparently thought we needed to teach us a lesson. So maybe that kind of gives us an idea about why do we know Jonah? What what are some lessons that maybe you and I can take away from the life of Jonah? Always obey God. Obey God, okay? You can run, but you can't hide. You can, yeah, that's right. You can run, but <laughs> <laughs> you can't hide. Yes, ma'am. Don't run away from because we will catch you eventually. Sure. Sure. Make sure you're landlocked. Make sure that you're landlocked. Okay. It shows the mercy of God. It shows the mercy of God. That's right. I-, I think it also shows that God knows us better than we realize. Here, he already had that fish appointed for Jonah before Jonah ever even said no. He had that fish, and it had to have some time to be big enough to swallow a, a man. So. He knew that Jonah was going to run away before Jonah ever even knew Jonah was gonna run away. We don't ever get ahead of God. God always has a plan and we are not big enough to wreck Yeah. Like God's, in control. God's in control. So not only did he repent in the well, but he also worshiped God in the well. He did. He did. the first yeah. that <coughs> when Woody, Woody and Woody to repentance? Right. That's what made him come to repentance. Right. I also think that we see right there a lesson of opportunity. You know, God came to Jonah and He gave him a mission that By Jonah's standards, even by our standards today, we would think would be crazy, unheard of, no way, you must have misunderstood, you need to pray about that, blah, 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 blah. We had to have all these excuses of why not to be obedient, and yet God was putting this in front of Jonah and giving him an opportunity because God knew how he could use Jonah. Could God have still brought that change about in the heart of the people of Nineveh without Jonah? Absolutely. But this goes back to, I think, it's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think. 1 Timothy chapter 2, somewhere in there, where he talks about us being a vessel. And being a vessel used by God. And we see over and over in Scripture where God can do things without you and I. He does not need us. At the same time, we see God use people like you and I to bring about miraculous things in the life of other people. And Why? Why does God so... Why is He so willing to use us? I don't know. But He does. And there's sometimes these opportunities that come across to us that we have no idea. But if you and I take it at face value and say, well, that's crazy. That's dumb. That's never going to work like that. We might miss the opportunities that God has for us down the road. Yes, sir. I think that He uses us as vessels because I think just like Jonah... He needs, he needed that. Like, my first mission trip to Mexico, when I came back, it changed my entire life. You know, I, I sold so much stuff that I had that was worldly stuff, fun, boys. I mean, we got rid of it all. And, I mean, that was just my first trip down there because I was like, I was so eager to get back down there. I knew if I got rid of the stuff, I'd have more money to take down there to help them people. And, I mean, it, it completely changed my kids, I mean, taking my boys down there and them seeing mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this is there every day to day. You know, you have it, you can come home. and I mean, I think that's why God allows us, us to be vessels, is to show us things that if I would have never went down there, I probably never would have so long played with this. Right. And, and, and been on fire to help others like that. Right. It changes our hearts. Okay. Yeah. That's what he's doing. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I don't know if it really yeah. changed hard, heart. Cause then he got mad at the plant time. He's still a powder. He's still a powder. He's still work in progress, which gives me hope. Which gives me hope. I mean, I because it never says how it ended. I mean, and that's one of those things. I'm like, what? Well, what's up with that? Why did it stop? I mean, it doesn't tell us Jonah going back to where he came from. It doesn't tell us how how the things transpired. It just said at the end of it, God's like, Why do you begrudge me to show mercy to them if I can show mercy to you? And that's like where it stops. And I'm like, Well, maybe it stops there because you know God's like, Hey, Spence, won't you? you spend some time thinking about that lesson before you're worrying about what isn't included in the book and the lesson that you you try to impose upon there. However, there are lessons that we can learn from the life of Jonah. Whether it's obedience, whether it's being used by God a vessel, whether it's the uh, can't outrun God, whether it's God always knows where you're at, or whether it's um, just putting yourself in a position where God can use you and God already knows. God already knows if you're going to be obedient. God already knows if you're not going to be obedient. God already knows where you're going to try to run to get away from him, and here he knows what his plan is to try to bring you back. Um, the question is, is where are you at right now? Are you in obedience or disobedience? Sometimes you run into people and they're in disobedience. And they know they're in disobedience. And they've got to get to that point where they've got to spend enough time in the fish belly to say, okay, I've, I've had enough. I'm, I'm done. I'm tired. Right? Right? And sometimes it takes us a day. Sometimes it takes us two days. Sometimes it takes us 10 years. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.